Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome, mountain bikers, to episode number 18 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. It is so good to have you here today, and I hope you have all got over the new year well and everything is going good for you. Now, if you're new to the show, the MTB Tribe Podcast is the show that takes you inside the sport of mountain biking, picking the brains of the industry leaders, finding out what makes them tick. We'll bring you information on everything from gear to diet to trails and everything in between. So please get in touch and get involved. You can visit us at mtb-tribe.com or you can download us via iTunes and Stitcher. It's all free to use, so go ahead and do that, please. Now, on to today's show, we are talking to Jer Jackson, who is best known for his success in the solo 24-hour racing scene. Jer was kind enough to come on the show and chat to us about what it takes to race solo for 24 hours and also his very close relationship with Team Giant Dublin. I initially kind of ran into Jer or found out about Jer when I was down at the Castle Welland 24-hour race event earlier in 2017 and um, chatting to Martin down there from the Life Adventure Centre who was organising the event, he gave me Jer's details um, and I wanted to get him on the show because the whole 24-hour race thing, you know, it's just crazy really, isn't it? You know, on a bike yourself for 24 hours and these guys are super dedicated. Remember, there's no money in this for these guys. They're just doing it because they want to and out of the love of the thing. So I I thought it would be good to get Jer on the show and, and chat us through what it takes to race 24 hours. You know, Jer's a Jer's a good lad. We had a, we had a good bit of a laugh on the show, and um, it's quite quite an insight. So we chat about everything from how he gets started in mountain biking, how he trains and gets ready for an upcoming race, the equipment he uses, how he paces himself throughout a race, why it is important to have a great pit crew, and and other crazy things he has done on the bike as well, because he's done some other pretty crazy things, and has some left still to do. So please sit back, enjoy the show, folks, and welcome Jer Jackson to the podcast. Hi, Jer. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. Thank you very much for being with us this evening. Um, I know it's wet and windy out here in Northern Ireland. How are you getting it down in Dublin? Oh, it's it's pretty much the same down this end of the country, yes. And thanks for having me on, Gareth. No, no problem at all. It's it's uh, it's my pleasure to be honest. And I didn't actually get a chance to run into you, but I was down at the Life Adventure Centre in Castlewell, and there when they were running the twenty-four hour morn cycle race, and um, you actually won that race, the twenty-four hour one, and you done it solo. So congratulations. Yeah, thank thank you very much. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to speak to you. I was a little busy trying to clock as many laps as possible in the time. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, and I'm sure if I came over to you and stuck a, a microphone in your face, I know what kind of response I'd probably have got. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so no, so thank you very much for coming on, Martin. Um, down there, give me your contact details and all, and you were gracious enough to come on and chat about about that and how you get organized for something like that because it's a pretty big feat uh, and i know when i think about doing something like that it kind of scares the wits out of me i always come up with some injury excuse or something you know (laughs) Uh, so we'll chat about that a wee bit later but um i also want to chat to you about team giant 
because you're involved in that as well. So could you tell us, Jer, just a wee bit about Team Giant Dublin and, and what that actually is? Uh, Giant Dublin was a, it's a team that was set up in 2013 by the late Richie Bourne. It was very well known in Irish mountain biking as the, mm-hmm. the godfather of Irish mountain biking. He was one of the original mountain bikers in Ireland. So the it was basically Giant... This, the giant brand store opened in Dublin, which Richie was the, the manager of, and he set about creating a team to, I suppose, to advertise the to advertise the shop and the brand. Mm-hmm. And that started in 2013, and it's still going today. It's kind of always kind of been across um, across the board of say myself with the endurance and uh, cross country riders, cyclocross riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, gravity enduro riders as well just sort of a, all aspects of mountain biking really very good and does the store give you much support oh i'm very well looked after now yeah uh, after every race i bring i bring my bike in there and it, whatever whatever damage i've done to it in the 24 hours the the lads take care of it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose the guys there are quite a, quite a small unit, so the atmosphere and all would be very good. I suppose, and the team. How many of you are are on the team? Yeah, there's um, there's been a lot of changes in the team at the moment, and there's due, there's due to be an announcement in in the coming weeks for the for the 2018 mm-hmm. 2018 lineup. Whereas at, at the moment, I can only say that it's myself and Ronan O'Shea who rides um, cross-country and cyclocross. So I, I'm being a little tight-lipped on that because just because there's going to be an announcement on for the right. 2018 team and sponsors, etc., in, in the coming weeks. Yeah, so um, we shouldn't really spill any beans because it might get you a wee bit in trouble. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so as far as support from the store, um, I, I've seen and around the store, so it's a gorgeous store, uh, very nice. Um, so would they supply you with bike and gear and entrance fees? Stuff like I, that? Get, I, get all my, um, I get all my gear for the season supplied by them. I have the use of a bike. I can take, I can use any demo bike that's in the store if needs be. Mm-hmm. I get all, all my all my mechanical work is done for me in the mm-hmm. store as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, basically, they take care of every everything. Wow. Everything as regards the bike and clothing is is taken care of there. Yeah, yeah, awesome, and and that that's such a big help, I'm sure. You know, um, from all aspects. So big up to the the giant Dublin store. Now, of course, yeah, it would, everything would be a whole lot harder now without the support of Giant Dublin. Yeah, cool. And how did you get involved in that, Jer? How did you get linked up with them guys in a way? Um, I, I came to the team in 2014. I was, um, I'd previously been a member, member of Epic MTB, and I was, um, for one thing, reason or another, I was kind of freelance at the time. And Richie Byrne approached me about coming onto the team. Mm-hmm. And so basically, he, he he lured me in with the promises of a, a giant Anthem X twenty nine er. Happy days! Oh, what a legend! So, 
where has the where has the team giant uh, Dublin store taken you over the years? You've raced for them. Can you can you fill us in a wee bit and <clears throat> where they have taken you and what you've been involved in? Yeah, most most of the racing I do now is twenty four hour solo. I'm, I may only have like three four events in one season, just because I'm I suppose pretty much specialised in twenty four hour mm. racing. So, from a racing perspective, I've been, I suppose I've been around, I've, like I do shorter races, well, when I say shorter, some people will think they're long, like Cooley Thriller, Marathon, the National Marathon Champs, mm-hmm. maybe the, the races I've, I'd usually do in Ireland, I've been all around, all around like England, Scotland, Wales, raced in Italy this year in the World Championships. Mm. And how did you find them trails compared to the trails back home here? Trails, say, we'll say like in England, Scotland, etc. It's it's relatively similar. Like you know, the obviously the terrain isn't a whole lot different, so the the racing is fairly similar. Climate and everything is mm-hmm. relatively similar, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and how about Italy? How did you find that? Um, I found it very hot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was my biggest problem there. A lot of climbing in the course as well, you know, and very, very good racing. Yeah. Obviously, going into going into the to the world championships, that that's as good as it gets. It's the highest standard you can you can possibly get, you know, which mm-hmm. was very good to go up against the best in the world. But saying that, I would have preferred if it was in if it was in Britain or Ireland, it would have the, the climate would have suited me a lot better. And uh, when you've seen them guys at that level out there. Was there anything that really stood out to you? What, you know, what what kind of makes them better or a higher level? You know, was there any real standout riders there, guys that you, you just they were just so fast? Yeah, well, obviously the guys that say would have made the top ten or whatever, even the we'll say the podium in elites now were, but it was the amount of times they lapped me was the, <laughs> was the thing that stood out the most. That's what maybe slapped you in the face the most. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, dear. Okay, well we'll move on from there because, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that standard's unbelievable, isn't it? It's crazy to watch. No, yeah, but it's it, yeah, it is. It's crazy, but I, I I I like the fact that I went out and competed at that level to see how I, you know, how how I would compare with the the best that there is in the game, you know. Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely fantastic. Fantastic indeed. So, Jerry, let's talk a wee bit about you then, just uh, and just tell us how you get into mountain biking. You know, what age did you start at? Well, I, I was I started out as a roadie mm-hmm. when I was, I suppose, I was about ten, eleven years of age. Very much a textbook product of the Roach and Kelly era. Mm-hmm. You know, as a little kid, I watched Sean Kelly and Stephen Roach on the television, and I wanted to be like them. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I went out playing on my bike. <laughs> Obviously, when watching Stephen Roach on television being interviewed and, like, he was winning these races, these far-off races like the Tour de France and these wonderful exotic locations, and he'd talk about the Wicklow Gap and the Sally Gap and the Shea Elliott, which are, you know, this this is my area. That's, it's not, it wasn't anywhere, anywhere far away or wonderful or anything. It was just places down the road. So there was the local guy could do this, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it kind of threw the... I suppose it threw the sport open to to kids kids in Ireland that we, we could do this too, you know. Mm-hmm. Was there many 
Was there many kids mountain biking at that time, or was it still a relatively new thing? But the, the mountain bike was only really taking off at that time. Now, I, I didn't, I didn't really take to the mountain bike now till I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. So, so in the teen, my teenage years, now I was, I was on the road bike. So that was, I suppose, at the time, mountain bike was mountain biking would have been seen as just sort of messing around. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't proper cycling, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that for sure. Yeah, and for for me now, that was. For me, that was the the attraction of getting into the mountain bike because I kind of, I, obviously in my late teens when, you know, girls and drinking and dancing and things like that kind of led me astray from the, the seriousness of road racing. And then, it's, then there was this mountain biking, which was just messing around, you know, that yeah. hey, you didn't have to take it too seriously. And obviously then, well, it never really got serious. It's always been fun. That's always the attraction. It's never, I'd never, say, I'd never say that I was a serious athlete. It's always just a bit of crack. Yeah, no, I I can see the appeal then for you know for definite. And did you ever, when you got on the mountain bike and you you got going and you got used to it, did you drop the road cycling altogether then? Um, that, like I still own a road bike. I'll do, I'll do the odd, do a few odd acts events most years, but. Predominantly mountain bike now. The, you know the the amount of road cycling I do would be very minor in comparison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's, yeah. it's just not. It's not as much fun. No, no, no. I can see that. And and did you ever think you'd get into racing or or anything like that? Like what what time or what age did you kind of start to get involved in the racing scene then? Actually, I I stayed to myself for a long time. Actually, it was in two thousand and nine. My now brother-in-law, Stephen Timmons, who races for Expert Cycles, okay. he, he wanted to join Epic MTB, and his girlfriend, my sister, didn't approve. <laughs> so he got me to come with him. So he could blame me if he got in trouble, and it's just kind of gone from there. Huh. We went from going on a few club spins with Epic to racing, doing cross-country races with Epic. It just sort of went from there, progressed from there to 24-hour racing. You said that you, were you riding with Stephen on a regular basis? Were you, were you just chumming about and mountain biking together? Was there anybody else involved in your kind of circle? Yeah, it was just, it kind of, I suppose it was ourselves. He, he was just taking, he was just getting into the sport. I'd kind of, for a long time, I just kind of stayed by myself. I liked the idea of just doing my own thing, you know. But then once once I started hanging out with Richie Warren, I just got hooked with the whole the whole um, going on spins regularly and training for racing and you know going around the country to do. We used to compete in the DXC NPS series. Did you really enjoy those times? Was it good crack? Was there any crazy stories or crazy happenings around them times? Um, oh, jeez, with Epic now there was always craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Is there anything uh, the, you can fill us in on? Oh, I couldn't even imagine where to start from. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it was pretty nuts. Did that change when you moved to the Giant team? Was it a wee bit more serious? Well, when you went out for training spins or whatever, it was still the same. It was still the same madness and great crack, you know. Mm-hmm. But at that, by the time I'd gone to Giant, I'd gotten into the the 24-hour solo racing, so that was, I suppose that was a lot of my training and spins were were around that kind of thing. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's crazy some of the the stories you hear, you know. And I th- I think guys that train hard, they tend to party hard as well, you know. <laughs> so some of the stories you can hear are just uh just just crazy at times. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely something something to that, anyway. Yeah, and and it's across the board too. And I think maybe now, you know, the athlete they are kind of athletes now you know they take it a wee bit more serious and there's maybe just not as much as that but back in the earlier times you know like you say the guys didn't really look at themselves as athletes not all of them anyway and uh they just took the party opportunity when it was there so it was a real lifestyle thing you know yeah <laughs> yeah well, for, for me it was always a, i suppose it was kind of a lifestyle like i live in the wicklow mountains and born and bred there that it's just you hop out, you hop on your bike and just go out and play on your bike. You know, it was never. I suppose it was never like being a professional athlete or anything. It was just, mm-hmm. it's just what we played at in our spare time. Yeah, and did you ever think then when you were when you were messing about with me, it's that it would get to where it is now? You know that that it would play such a big part in your life. Um. Well, I I never saw myself getting into the twenty four hour solo racing. You know, I always, I was knew I was going to be bikes around the house there, and I play my bikes regularly. But getting into twenty-four hour racing the way I have now, I never, never saw that coming until it, it had happened. It's taken off. It's getting quite popular. The twenty-four hour racing. Um, how many was there competing down at down at the Castle Wellen event there? Can you remember? I, I think all in there might have been about thirty taking part. Which mm-hmm. may seem quite low, but for for the first running of a new event, that's actually pretty good. There's mm-hmm. a there's a race I go to in the Isle of Man, which has gone into its tenth year this year, and in their tenth year now, they're hosting the British National Champs of twenty four hour racing. And in their first year, they had eighteen entries. Mm. So that just that kind of gives you an idea of where you can go in ten years with it. Was the thirty 30- um, riders at Castlewell, and they weren't all solo riders, were they? No. No, no I mean, like it was probably thirty all in across. Yeah, yeah. Across all categories. I think. So, think them. Maybe there was nine solos. I'm not too sure now, off the top of my head, what the what the actual numbers were. Yeah, that's still good, though. You know, but there's essentially in twenty four hour racing, you you only need two guys really. There's two <laughs> men there at the race. And did you know? Did you know any of the other competitors? Is it something that you know when you're doing twenty four hour racing? Do you run into the same faces all the time? Is, is there is there a wee group of you there that you do all the same kind of events and you run into each other? Well, most a lot of I go over to Britain now for a lot of races, and I'd know I'd know all the people there. Maybe not all of them, but the, the guys that would be serious contenders, I would know them. They'd know me as well. Like there's kind of there's a hardcore of you'll see the same faces at the races, you know, that, that just, I suppose because it's it's established in, in over in England, Scotland, whatever, it's been going for about 20 years that, you know, you know, there's a, there's a crowd that are, that's their thing. So they're, they're yeah. kind of established on the scene. Yeah. So you, you would kind of all know each other and run and run and among each other all the time. Um, oh yeah. We'd all know each other. Like we, we race against each other, but like we'll have a beer together afterwards, you know, or, Mm-hmm. We we all know each other quite well at this stage. 
Yeah, and would that would the twenty four hour racing would it be as comp? Well, I know it's competitive. Obviously, it's twenty four hour racing. It's it's crazy, but would it be as competitive as say enduros or cross country or something like that? Or are you guys more likely to get on with each other kind of thing? I mean, we we're, we're all we're all friends, like, and we'd all respect each other. But the, when it comes down to the race, it's it's serious business. Like, mm-hmm. the guy might be your good friend of yours, but you want to beat him, you know. Yeah. When did you, or can you remember when you did your first solo race? Yes, my first 24 solo was Bontrager 24-12 in Plymouth in 2012. Right, okay. Uh, in Plymouth, right, all at right. At the time, it was, just, it was just ticking an item off the bucket list, you know. I'd, I'd always said that I would do, but when I first came across 24-hour racing, I remember reading about it in maybe it was MBR or what mountain bike some years earlier. And I just, I, I was just amazed with the whole concept. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. I, I'm, I'm going to do one of them sometime just to, mm-hmm. just to tick it off the list. There, there was a, the, there's a club called mountain bike association of Dublin or mad. They, there was a bunch of them were been going across for a few years to this race and they invited me to come with them. And I did. And it just went from there really. Wow, that was that was you hooked. It certainly was, yes. And how how did that race go for you, Jer? How how did you get on, and and what kind of difficulties did you run into that you maybe weren't expecting? The weather was terrible. It was absolutely atrocious. The, oh. the night before the race, the the police came into the campsite. They, they were talking about evacuating the place. Like oh, the, the weather was very bad. Wow! But because we travelled. Because we travelled there, we you know, spent money on the ferry and whatever that we were there. The race was on, so we had to go and do it. So that was that was the biggest issue in the beginning. It's just uh, dealing with the weather. Then obviously you get to a stage at like three o'clock, and there was a stage at three o'clock in the morning where everything everything was telling me to just stop doing this. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. I just carried on and. I finished, I came sixth overall at the end of the day, wow. which which was quite good going, considering going into the race, I didn't even know if I could do this. Mm-hmm. What made you make that decision, Jer? You know, what did you want to do this from the solo aspect? You know, you said it was on your bucket list, but... It sounds so difficult for me to do, you know, I go out on my trail and ride maybe two hours or two and a half hours and I'm pretty blasted after that. But, you know, what made you want to do the 24-hour thing? Like, what what drew you towards it? I suppose the fact it was there. And I'd say it seemed like such a, such a stupid idea I had to do it. <laughs> well, there's no better reason. <laughs> So when you made the decision to race solo, how how did you prepare for that? Because obviously it's something that's very alien to you. Um, did you sit down and do some research regarding racing solo? You know, how how did you prep yourself for something as big as that? Yeah, I was up to see with the first one. Now I wasn't I wasn't really taking it too serious. It was it was more of a big day out. But obviously I did a bit of online research into the whole thing, and. Uh, there's a man by the name of Ian Keith who'd be very well-known ultra runner who I, he'd come out, I'd go out on the bike with him from time to time. So he was, he was like my go-to guy for advice about 
about preparation for it because he, he'd done a lot of things like this in the past. That that was that was pretty much it. And I suppose um, as regards training for it now, it was very much the Eddie Merckx school of thought was ride lots. Would you have changed before you done the solo race, um, or before you were thinking of doing solo races and you, and you were training? For what you were the other race uh, races you were doing, did you change your training up much for the twenty four hour race? Well, obviously the the length of training before before I got into the twenty four hour, like you went out for a spin that was maybe an hour, hour and a half, or something like that, as opposed to four, five, six, and more hours. That was the that was the biggest change, really. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through kind of? how difficult that training that training is so what kind of training would you do would you do trail a lot of trail stuff or would you do road or would you combine or do you go to the gym what what kind of things would you do i've i've never set foot in a gym in my life <laughs> brilliant <laughs> put that one out there for a start <laughs> having brilliant. said that now there would be be some kettlebells trx that kind of thing a bit of pilates um, the, sometimes on the road, it's, I could go out and do, like on the mountain bike and sort of mix up a bit of trails, a bit of road as well. A lot of, a lot of my training, like Ballinastow Woods is, that's my home ground. I could go, there's a, there's a signposted like, trail centre trail there. I could go in and I, a lot of times I go in and I do multiple laps of that, mm-hmm. which is, Aside from the physical aspect of it, it's kind of condition. It's mental conditioning that you're just doing this lap again and again and again. Because essentially, when you get to the 24-hour race, that's how it is. You're just doing this lap over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through maybe the run-up to a 24-hour race? Do you do anything different regarding food, your training, or, or do you get ready for any kind of recovery you'll be doing throughout the race? What's that like? Does that change a lot? Yeah, well, obviously, we'll say from from a week before the race, your training will taper off to even two weeks before. You'll start to cut down on the amount of riding you're doing. Even the, the week before, you'll do very sh- few very short spins, just to just to get yourself as you want to be rested, but you still want to have everything everything supple and moving as well, you know. Um, dietary wise though there wouldn't be anything there wouldn't be anything in particular now it would be just fairly standard yeah Obviously, so you wouldn't jump up very much no no not not coming up to the race now but one thing with diet now I would say on the on the morning after the race is the full Irish breakfast That's the, oh really yeah <laughs> brilliant that, that was brilliant so what's on the day of the race, what what is that morning schedule like? What time does the race, does the twenty four hour race normally start at, and what do you do before that to to prep yourself to get ready? Yeah, midday is is generally the starting time. Sometimes it'd be ten a.m., but sort of somewhere between ten and midday. Mm-hmm. And obviously, sleep as late as possible, but which is hard to do as well because you have the excitement is building because of the event. There'll be a few last-minute preparations, which are which are bottles and food for the race. Mind you, most of that would be done the night before. Mm-hmm. So it's just really getting your getting your breakfast and just being ready for the start. That's that's yeah. the 
that's pretty much all that goes on in the morning of the race. It's you, you want to have the morning of the race as easy going as possible. You know, you want to have everything prepared from the day before. So you don't have to worry about anything in the run-up to the race. And would you, Jer, would you have a mechanic at the pits area or anything like that for you, just in case any of any issues, or are you just a oh, yeah, one-man band? Oh, no, you have to, you really have to have pit, the pit crew with you. Mm-hmm. There's always, um, a lot of the races now that I do in England and Scotland, I'm part of a group, we're called Celtic Corner, we're kind of famous now at this stage we're mostly sort of Dublin Wicklow and the Isle of Man so we just sort of we pitch up together and we have we have great crack at races and we we all look after each other there's a few people that do pits for whatever number of riders we have in the events so you'll always have someone if you have an issue with a bike that someone can sort that out or if you want if you want something food prepared or something that that can be done for you as well there was one occasion in 2013 where I did a 24-hour race completely solo with no support whatsoever. Uh-huh. And that was very, that was very, very tough. It was unbelievably hard to do that. Yeah, so you, you rely on the help of your crew, you know, to get you through, and whether it be to cook food, oh. like you say, motivation, anything like that. Yeah, the, the motivation is a huge part of it because it, it could be four o'clock in the morning and you're just really. You just want to give it up. You come into the pits, and people just shout at you, and that just jeez you up to to get back out and keep going. Yeah, I'm sure it's so so difficult. So, like when you're going through the race, throughout the race, you know, how do you kind of pace yourself? You know, like how how do you know when things are going good, and how do you know when things are going bad, and and how do you change that to just as you say, keep going? Yeah, um, I suppose you, you gauge if things are going well or bad by who's in front of you and who's behind you. That's that's usually your best indicator. Okay, so it's really down to the timesheets and stuff like that. You're not really thinking on your body and how you're feeling personally yourself. If somebody's in front of you, then you got to go harder. Is that the way you look at it? That, that's pretty much it, yeah. If you want, wow. to, you want to be in the business end of it, you have to get in there and stay in there for as long as you possibly can. And then some. So you would have known. Well, I'm sure you have a fair idea what kind of times you want to be doing each lap. Oh yeah, a lot of times you do a practice lap the day before, and you kind of work out from that that what your average lap time should be and how many laps you should do. Mm -hmm. So you have a you have an idea of what what you're what speed you what pace you're going to be going at, but then. That can, all, that can all go out the window depending on what's going on around you. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. So if you're going with your lap times and, and you're feeling okay and your lap times are what you were expected, but you're still in third place, then you got to just pick it up then. you got to throw oh, yeah, you, out the window and go up, for it. You want to, if you want to move out of third, you have to up your game. Mm-hmm. And would you at any time think... Well, these guys in front of me, they're going to slow down, they're going to slacken a wee bit, so I can just stay where I'm at and just keep the pace I'm going and hope that these guys come down a, come down a peg or two. Do you ever think like that, or do you just go for it and just aim for the front? Yes, sometimes you think like that, but if you can see them there in front of you, it just makes it a whole lot easier. If you're, mm. if you're there right with them, you know, it's, you can relax that bit more. 
knowing that they're in sight. Mm-hmm. It's a little more comfortable to be to be right there with them if someone's half a lap ahead of you and you're trying to pace yourself and say, yeah, I'll catch him later. It's, your, your head starts to mess with you as well that, you know, things could go wrong. He could make that half a lap, a full lap. Mm-hmm. So if you try and you try and keep it, keep the people in sight so that they can't they can't sneak off or get away on you or anything like that, you know. Does your planning come down? Um, I'm trying to phrase this correctly, but let's say you decide that okay, I'm going to do four laps or three laps or whatever it may be. Then I'm going to take a five minute break and fuel myself, and then I'm going to go. What if your competitors are doing something like taking six laps before they fuel themselves and maybe taking a longer break to fuel themselves? How do you work all that out and how does that normally play out on the day? Um, you, I suppose you kind of have to assess what the other people are doing and you have to do the same. A, oh, a lot really? of the guys now that would be very competitive, they, they probably won't really take a break at all. They'll just literally have stuff handed to them as they go. They might oh they might stop twice for ten or fifteen minutes in the twenty four hours. That see, just sounds you, unbelievably crazy. It is, but if you if you stop for five minutes at two a.m., that five minutes can become thirty five very quickly. You can just mm-hmm. lose track of time. Whereas if you just if you just come into the pits, the stuff is thrown at you, and off you go again. You've <laughs> lost a little time. At that race, say, in Castlewell in there, did you stop at all, or, or what was your kind of race schedule like then? I, I stopped twice for, I think my longest one was 13 minutes that I stopped for. And were you in the front at that stage? Yes. Yeah, they were both, um, I think it was at about 8, about 8 and 16 hours of uh, into the race would have been the two two times I stopped. Obviously, the first one would have, been, would have been to I would have grabbed something to eat and put the lights on for the night time as well. Uh, yeah, just uh, to to somebody listening like myself, you know, it, it's just such a it's just such an alien concept to be on the bike for that length of time. N- not alone fatigue and leg burn, but you know, butt soreness and every, <laughs> everything that comes along <laughs> with that. So, <laughs> like, what what would you say in that? And that 24 hours would be your biggest challenge. Is it physical? Is it fueling yourself? Is it maybe even mental at a certain stage? You know, what what difficulties do you run up against? I suppose all of the three that you mentioned there now can can become issues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like fueling yourself is it's something that you have to work on. You're not going to get it right the first time, or maybe not even the second or the third time. Every every next race you do, you you tweak it another bit. Um, and the f- physical aspect, I suppose, a lot of it is training. But there's a, there comes a stage where your the head overrides the body, that the brain says you, that the legs are just going to keep turning. You're, you're doing this, and that's that's the way it has to be. Mm-hmm. But obviously, your mental your mental conditioning has to be pretty good as well. It's almost like you have to switch off that I'm on this bike until whatever time this race ends at, and it doesn't matter what happens. This is what we're doing. Now, having said that though, the a good and something I like about 24 hour racing is you will, you will get Joe blogs there that this is the biggest thing he'll ever do on a bike in his life. Mm-hmm. 
and then you get the serious people who have their that are just focused on finishing the thing and you've everyone every every place in between and you're all in the same race great environment i i would say i i think i think it's fantastic like especially that you can have that you can have that mix of everybody because generally in when you get to the when you get to the last few hours of the race and pretty much the competition is you know the race has been won or lost at that stage that people start you start chatting to other riders and it tends to be a good atmosphere about it the, the the guy who's winning the race can be talking to the guy who this is this is the biggest thing he's ever done he's never going to do this ever again you know and they can just ride along and have a chat together yeah awesome. like that. when you run into difficulties out there how do you overcome them is, is it just is it just a mental thing do you think there's, there's definitely a, the, a mental preparation is a massive part of it. That you you just have to be focused. That you 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 prepare for as many possible eventualities as you can. And but at the end of the day, you just have to have you kind of have your brain programmed that I am not stopping until this is over. And mm-hmm. you just run with that, regardless of of how it goes. And when you're training, JR, for that, would you ever do a 24-hour training session? No, it's it's just the practicalities of of training. For like, I've, I work full time with wife and three children, so I'm struggling to fit in the amount of training that I want to as it is. So going out yeah. for 24 hours to train is just the, there's not the hours to do it really. And and as you say, I suppose at that time on the day. You, you just have to mentally say to yourself, I have to keep going until the clock says I can stop. So it would be very different doing goes. something like that. When you're out there, um, and I remember reading something about some gentleman in the US that does 24-hour racing, and <clears throat> they were talking to him about the pain, the pain threshold and stuff, and he was saying that, the pain in your legs and your body gets to a certain stage and it just will get no worse. So you got to get your brain into line and say to yourself, right, this pain isn't going to get any worse, so I've got to accept what it is now and just keep pushing the pedals. Do, do you think in that kind of way also? Yeah, that's he's pretty much spot on there. A lot, a lot of times, <laughs> you know... A lot of the time, you don't actually realize the pain until after the race is finished. Have you ever? I know. I I, I know you. You obviously in, in an environment like that, you want to throw in the towel. But have you ever done that, or have you ever thrown in the towel and then picked it back up again two minutes later and got on the bike? Oh yeah, there's there's been times where you want to, you know, I just can't do this anymore. You know, I remember one time where I stopped for. I must have stopped for an hour. I was in second right. position at the time. And it, it had rained and rained and rained for hours, and everybody had stopped to change their clothes except myself and the guy who was in first position because both, neither of us wanted to... Neither of us wanted to lose the five or ten minutes changing clothes mm. because we were racing each other, but it just got to a stage where I just could not physically keep going. I had to stop for a while. Mm-hmm. Of course, since stopping, then he gained the advantage, and I suppose it secured the win for him. But then, then I was going to lose second place if I st- if I stayed off the bike. So I just had to get back out and keep going to hang on to second place. Mm. 
and how long was left in the race when you decided to take your break? Can you remember? I think it was about four. It was probably about four o'clock in the morning. The race is due to finish at midday. Wow, tough. And, and do you find riding at night tougher than than through the day? Is it just because of your time clock, or or do you think physically riding in the dark is more difficult? I'd say the only the only difficulty is because you're that bit more tired. You're maybe not as alert as you would have been in the daylight because you've been on the bike as long as you have. But other than that, because I do a lot of training in the dark, just sort of when, during the race, when it comes to night time, there's nothing unusual about it. It's it's something I've trained for. It just You just go on and do it. Thinking about the bike then, Ger, um, would you use the normal bike that you train on for, say, you know, do you have a specific bike for it? Would you set the bike up any different different tyres or different gearing or anything like that what, what way do you normally work that no the, the bike would be the very same as it has been in training because the, the idea is that it's just nothing unusual about it it's exactly as as you have you know the 100 hours you've done training for this that you get on the bike and it's the very same there's nothing there's nothing different or unusual about it it's just what you're it's like a pair of old slippers it's what you're used to and, and what do you actually ride? Can you tell us what you ride? Yeah, I use a giant, a giant XTC 29er and the giant Anthem X29er. Okay, and would you have both them bikes at the race? Usually, if I'm if I have to fly to a race, I'll only have one bike. Whereas if I've if it's if it's in Ireland or say somewhere where I've travelled in the ferry now, I'll, I'll take both of them. Mm-hmm. You really need to have. Ideally, you have a second bike just so if there's any if there's any problems with the bike, you can hop onto the other one and keep going. Yeah, and have you had any, or can you let us know of any bad experiences you've had in a 24-hour race, like punctures or bike failure in some way? Has there been anything like that that's that's happened? There's never been anything major. Just obviously, you get, you're going to get the odd puncture that happens broke a chain once obviously another thing that just happens you know mm-hmm. I've been I suppose I've been quite fortunate now with the bikes that there's, there's never been anything there's never been anything serious I suppose that's down yeah. to, the, to the quality of the machinery that I'm using yep certainly that's definitely it from them giant guys in Dublin you know you know you've been with them guys quite a while and and you know your equipment and you know it well and you, you have your pet crew and all there you know, so you've a good team set up around you, and I suppose that fills you with a wee bit of confidence as well, lets you settle into it a wee bit more. Maybe it gives you a, a little bo- more mental movement, if you know what I mean, less stress. So I suppose that all helps at the end of the day when you when you set off at the start of that 24 hours. Oh yeah, definitely, because they know that the, the whoever's in pits that they've they know what they're doing as well. That I, I don't really even have to think about anything like that you know when i get bottles handed to me that the person giving them to me knows what i'm taking at what time and i don't really even have to ask for them they're just they're put in front of me Mm -hmm. and they're like kind of saying drink this now or eat this now kind of thing pretty much yeah that's pretty awesome so jerry you've done a few other things uh you've done another crazy race did I hear something like 300 no sorry 
I'm getting that wrong. 630 kilometres or something in under 24 hours. Can you fill us in on that? Was that a couple of years ago or something? Oh, in 2015, I rolled um, from Mizzenhead to Malinhead in, it was actually 27 hours. 27, okay, wow. Yeah. It was another another thing on the bucket list that had to be done, and I actually done it as a fundraiser for a charity for a special needs primary school, which is local to me here. Awesome. And how did you find that compared to the 24-hour race? Because obviously you weren't doing lap after lap. lap. Was it was it easier? Was it more difficult? Um, you were, were you doing it yourself, obviously, so you had no kind of competition in, in that form? How, how did you find oh, yeah, that was, compared it was, to... It was just myself doing it, you know, and obviously because it wasn't laps that you didn't have to... When you're doing laps, you... You kind of become programmed after three or four that you know what comes next, so... You're just on the road and you don't know what, you don't really know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Which is nice as well because it's something different that you know that started off, started off looking at the sea and until until I saw the sea again, it wasn't over, you know. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, you were thinking it was going to appear around every corner, but it wasn't there. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I had a good idea; it was going to take a long time to get to the other end, but. Yeah. It'll be a long time before I do it again. Uh-huh. And again, were you on a mountain bike at that stage, or were you on a road bike? Oh no, no, I was on I was on a, a high end road bike for that. It was a Giant Defy with the disc brake road bike from obviously from Giant Store Dublin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. And did they support you through that as well and help you out and sponsor you and stuff? Oh yeah, I was I was I was well looked after for that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, big up for them guys. They're they're looking after the boys well, anyway. Yeah, well, obviously they they they're making a living out of out of people buying bikes and whatever. So it's it's good of them to put something back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's it, great. To see. Just when you said there about the um, about doing something crazy, mm-hmm. say you know that uh, I done the mission to Malin, but in 2014, I rode the. The Wicklow Way in both directions in one sitting. I'm the first person that ever did that. And Uh, as far as I know, no one else has done it since. And how far was that, Jer? It's just just over 260 kilometres altogether, which isn't a massive huge difference, but there's a a lot of climbing in it. I suppose 95% of it is off-road as well. Right, wow, really? Okay, so you were on a mountain bike then for that? Oh yes, that was the, the Anthem X-29er all the way for that one. Wow, wow, and how, how tough was that? How tough was that? That was, that was, it was a lot tougher than I expected it to be. In 2013 I had set out to do it and I had abandoned, I suppose, three quarters of the way through it. Well, I was more than three quarters of the way. I was at the was at the point where the Wicklow Way is closest to my front door. Probably <laughs> enough to close to abandon there. <laughs> oh dear, you can smell your wife's cooking or something, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, when, when I went to do it the second time I was I was a bit better prepared for it and I knew I knew where the demons would, would come to get me and mm-hmm. that all worked out in the end anyway. Happy days, happy days. Well, that, that's a great way of putting it, where the demons are going to come to get you. That's 
that only comes from experience, probably. So how long uh, how long did that take you, Jer? That was that was I was twenty six hours doing that, which wow. I could probably if I went to do it again now I could probably shave a nice bit of time off it. But at the time it it didn't really matter because nobody I was nobody had ever done it before. Mm-hmm. This was this was going to be my thing that I had forever. I was the first person that ever done this, so I ju- I just right. had to complete it. Yeah, no, fair play to you. Fair play to go back a second time, knowing what you kind of knew was in front of you, and I'm sure a lot of it was was very bad. So fair, fair play. You're you're definitely a, a different breed, that's for sure. You know what it reminds me of, Jerry? It reminds me a wee bit on. I watched a couple of Guy Martin shows one time. And he was doing crazy long, long races. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he—he's that kind of guy. There was times when he had physios and everything with him, and that, and he was pulling over to the side of the road, and the physio was looking at him, and his nutritionist was there, and you know they were saying to him, "Guy, you got to stop. You have to stop. You know, you know, lie down, take a nap for thirty minutes. You have to stop." But he was, after five minutes, he was raring to go again, and think that was the race down to mexico maybe and he actually fell asleep on the bike a couple of times i am nearly sure I, I oh yeah the, the tour divide yeah yeah so but that kind of you know because he seems to enjoy and i'm nearly sure i've read his books too and i'm nearly sure he said in his books or on, or on some of the tv shows that he actually enjoys the pain it, it, there's something there's something about it that keeps on going yeah. back and doing something similar. Do you find that yourself? Yeah, there's something like you, the pain kills you and everything and you say never again, but as soon as you finished it, you think, yeah, that was great. I can't, can't wait to do the next one. <laughs> there's definitely an element of that in it. Wow, but he's the same about Guy Martin there. Um, I don't actually know him now. We'd be, I suppose he's, he'd be a friend of a friend, that kind of way, but mm-hmm. he's been known to, to do um, 24-hour races as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think he does the one. He does one in Scotland. I'm nearly sure. That's right. Yeah, the um, strap puffer. It's coming up in a few weeks' time. Right. Well, he he'll probably be at that. He'll probably be at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he, uh, I, I think he stepped away from the motorcycle racing now. He's probably because I know he loves his mountain biking and he mountain bikes to work bike and for you know every day, which I think. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. 16 mile round trip or something so he does that all year round no matter what the weather so yeah he'll be doing that he's the kind of fella i think you'll see up doing that again you know yeah Uh, brilliant now here's a good question for you what advice would you give to somebody that's thinking of doing their first solo 24-hour race what could you advise them to do initially that that maybe took you a couple of races to understand or, or what advice would you give to a newbie wanting to do something like that hmm. have a good pit crew is probably important you would think eh? oh yeah very good a good pit crew new socks <laughs> right yeah brilliant I'll, that's, always, that's when I, whenever stuff. I do before I do a, new, a race I get new socks mm-hmm. new socks that have never been worn before so it might sound a bit crazy but you go and do it and you will understand <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, very, very good. Now, have you anything crazy planned for the near future, Jer? I, I know you said there you have three kids and, and work full time and also your, your time's limited. But is there anything 
still left in that bucket list that you got to do? Um, London to Dublin is it's been in the bucket list for over twenty years now, and it's this year could be the year for that one. Wow! 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 Are you doing that yourself? Oh yeah, that would be just just me, just myself and the bike. And uh, in in June, I'm planning on doing the European 24-hour championships in Slovakia, and the the World Championships are in Fort William in Scotland at the end of October. So I'll, I'll be going to that one as well. Very good. Wow, that's crazy. And obviously, with the support from the giant guys in Dublin. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And do you think without without them guys and without their support, you would be able to do do your twenty four hour race in Jer? It would be very very difficult now. I'll have to say, It'd be a serious struggle now to do. I'd say to do two in a season without the support. No, it's very good. And you know, the more podcasts I do, and, and the more I chat to people involved in racing, you know, from all kind of levels. Until you get to a certain level, you just don't get support. And I think when you do get support, it makes things so much easier for you and allows you to concentrate on what you're there to do, you know. Um, and it's like you're saying on the 24-hour race in there with a really good pit crew, you can basically go and ride the bike and concentrate on your own stuff. You don't have to worry about fueling and mechanics problems and, and things. So I think that's very important and it's very good to see stores like the giant Dublin store doing that. Oh yeah, because obviously for for me that makes a huge difference that I get that get that support. It just it means that it's it just makes every everything so much easier from I suppose from a time time and financial perspective that, that they look after me in in, both, in those kind of regards that you know it, it I've got more time to train if I'm not if I don't have to look after the bike. No, that's a that, very important. Now, Jer, is there any way that people can keep in touch, can keep up to date with what you're doing and what races you'll be entering? How how's it best for people to kind of stay in contact with with you and the giant giant team and stuff like that? Um, there's a few Facebook pages. Uh, the Giant Store has uh, Giant Store Dublin is the name of their Facebook page. There's also Giant Dublin Off Road Team Facebook page as well. And uh, there's Celtic Corner MTB. That's another Facebook page that I'm involved in, which is updated with events, etc. Could, could I just get a plug in there, please, for an event next yeah, year? Yeah, certainly. Go for it. Go for it. There's a, there's a website. It's www.ldlr.im. And the race is um, it's called Longest Day, Longest Ride. And it's, it's run by a club called Locked and Loaded in the Isle of Man. It's on the 16th and 17th of June this year, and this year it's hosting the British 24-hour national championships. And it's it's open to anyone to enter. You don't you do you don't have to be a British national to enter. I suppose to take the to take the title you have to be British, but any anyone is welcome to come and take part in the race. Okay, cool. It's and I'll I'll get some the, details off you about that and put them in the show notes as well. Yeah, grand. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's brilliant. And you're obviously entering that. Jer, is there anybody else from around here entering it, or anybody else in the giant team entering it? Um, I would be the well. I'm the, I'm the only 24-hour man with Giant Dublin. There's another, there's another rider based in Dublin, Michael McCutcheon, who rides for the the bike rack. Who mm-hmm. I can't say for definite he is taking part in that, but he'd be highly likely to do so. 
all the top Sorry, British riders would be at that as well. Yeah, and and how do you see your chances in that? What are you expecting? Well, I've been runner up in the race twice before, so you're going for the big one. Yeah, sure, we just have to wait you. see, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Jer, chatting to you this evening here, you know, you're you're just so calm and and you're just so collected and. You know, to be doing 24-hour races and all, it's uh, to the normal person like me, it's it's crazy stuff. But you just come across as as so calm and 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 so in in control, really. So I suppose you need to be like that to do 24-hour races, you know. So so well done, well done. That's that's absolutely no, awesome. Thank you. No, no, you deserve it. You deserve it. Um, so listen, Jer, I appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome chatting to you and. Um, you know, as I say, I've, I've read a wee bit about 24-hour racing before and I just want to uh, chat to somebody that actually does it from here and um, is very good at it. So it's been awesome and you've given us some great insights for anybody that wants to wants to kind of start it. So they need to get new socks is the main thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always keep a pair of new socks in, in the van just in case. <laughs> so, Jer, thanks very much. I appreciate it and um, I hope you have a, a great evening. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for having me on. No problem, you're welcome. Bye-bye. That wraps it up for episode number 18, folks. I hope you enjoyed that, and thank you very much to Jer for coming on the show and filling us in on what it's like to race 24 hours. I must say, um, it hasn't really encouraged me anymore to want to do that. (laughs) It's just... It just sounds ridiculous. Um, But anyway, thanks very much, Jer. I really appreciate it. And um, folks, if you enjoyed the show, please go online. You can visit us at www.mtb-tribe.com. You can subscribe to the show there and get an insider scoop every week, just letting you know what's coming on the show. And um, you can get an early read over the show notes and stuff like that. There's other wee things going to be happening in the near future there also. So I would encourage you to do that, definitely. You can also leave a comment on the website website get in touch let us know anybody you would want to hear from on the podcast or anything you would like to fill us in or let her know just get involved and stay in contact you will also be able to find us on the old socials facebook is mtb tribe and instagram you will get us at mtb tribe you can also download the show via stitcher and itunes it's all completely free and if you're doing that please rate the show and leave a review five star ratings is always the best of course so that would really help thank you very much so thanks again folks for being here i really appreciate it and um let's get together next week for another great mountain bike show and um, i'm not going to fill you in just yet on who's on the show but but it is going to be a good one so tune in download whatever you need to do we'll have a good time next week thanks very much talk to you soon